Last week, the forum Reddit, the website that calls itself the front page of the internet, crashed the Super Bowl. Where other companies had spent millions on slick ads, Reddit made a cheap one in a week. It flickered and glitched onto the screen for about five seconds and it hit a home run. And I know, yes, I know that's the wrong sport, but still, you get my point. It worked, it went viral, and it sent a really powerful message. The ad read... Big game spots are expensive, so we couldn't buy a full one. We were inspired and decided to spend our entire marketing budget on five seconds of airtime. One thing we learned from our communities last week is that underdogs can accomplish just about anything when they come together around a common idea. They were, of course, referring to GameStop, the remarkable story that just a week before had crashed not the Super Bowl, but the news. A bunch of Reddit users seemingly got together and took on a big hedge fund. They clubbed together to send the share value of a struggling video game chain, Stratospheric. This, in turn, caused a multi-million dollar hedge fund, in their eyes, the bad guys, to lose a lot of money. The Reddit ad in the Super Bowl finished by saying, powerful things can happen when people rally around something they really care about, and there's a place for that. It's called Reddit. It was a masterstroke of storytelling, but that's all that it was. It's a story not borne out by reality. I'm Basha Cummings, and in this week's episode of the Slow Newscast, I'm going to tell you about why this story packaged up as a battle of underdogs versus titans, Davids versus Goliaths, is the wrong story. And to help me, I'm going to bring in two of my colleagues, the investigative journalist James Ball and data reporter Kim Dara, who have spent the last week sorting fact from fiction. And the story I want to tell you is more revealing about financial markets and how they work. The story I want to tell you is about how big hedge funds profited from a moment of frenzy, how experienced amateur traders and total newbies got caught up in it all, and how, in the end, the house always wins. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So who are our characters in this fable of Reddit hype and stock surges? Well, if Reddit's version of events is to be believed, it goes something like this. You've got this forum packed with little guys, valiant, small-time investors, everyday Robin Hoods. They're young, they're very on the internet, and after the pandemic hit, they had a bit more time on their hands. 
They're on a forum on Reddit called Wall Street Bets and they share financial tips and analysis, a lot of memes, screenshots of what they're up to. It's a proper community like a lot of subreddits are. And then let's keep up this fable analogy. You've got the ailing princess. That's GameStop this beloved chain of video game shops selling consoles and all the other stuff you'd need for gaming. Pre-order Assassin's Creed Odyssey and unlock your very own unicorn. Only at GameStop. Power to the players. I probably would have gotten really excited about around the year 2000 when I was playing a lot of Crash Bandicoot on my PlayStation 1. But that was a long time ago. And then you've got Robinhood, a free trading app that lets investors trade stocks, options and cryptocurrency without paying commissions or fees. It's one of the only places offering free trades and it bills itself as democratizing trading. And we'll come back to that later. Look at you, the power of the stock market in the palm of your hand. And you notice the details, the trends, the slight shift in the wind. It's an app that makes it really easy for the valiant little guy trader to throw their hard-won gold at GameStop as they're all telling each other on Wall Street bets that they can save it, or at least that they can make a stand. Well, it seems like the right time to put some skin in the game. And Robinhood is right there with you. So you can buy now with no trading fees ever, without even missing your lunch break. And then you've got the baddie, the big bad hedge fund, Melvin Capital, based in New York City, founded by a man called Gabriel Plotkin, who the Financial Times describes as a low-profile but aggressive trader who had a reputation for punchy short positions. His fund, Melvin Capital, was running two of the five biggest short positions in Europe last month, for example. And I'll explain in a moment exactly what that means. And over the course of many years, that kind of brought me to a place that I never would have envisioned when I started, but that was really the focus is how do I just keep improving? And, you know, if you're hardworking and and you have a decent ceiling, like good things can happen. And so even now it's just keep getting better every day. So that's our cast, but what's our story? Well, it goes like this. In August last year, Melvin Capital, the hedge fund, put in a routine filing, one that hedge funds have to make every three months. It's called a 13F form. It listed all the positions that Melvin Capital held at the time, shareholdings in brands like Microsoft and Amazon and Crocs, those horrid but very comfortable shoes. But then a Reddit user noticed something else. They spotted that Melvin Capital had bet on GameStop's share price going down. It had taken a so-called short position and a big one that had left it quite exposed. And this is where it gets really interesting. Other people on Reddit also noticed Melvin Capital's short position. And so together, they decided to get together to squeeze Melvin, to drive the share price up so much that the big hedge fund's bet on the share price dropping became untenable. GameStop's stock was trading as low as $10 in September of 2020, but by January 27th, just a couple of weeks ago, it was at $347 a share. And remember, every dollar that that stock went up, Melvin Capital's position got worse. In six months, half of its $13 billion fund was wiped out. And that's when the story really hit the headlines and the narrative was quick to stick. A struggling retail chain is at the center of what some people are calling a David and Goliath struggle. It's a David and Goliath battle. Of a David versus Goliath battle. It's like a David versus Goliath story or it's a story... Elon Musk got involved. He tweeted, game stonk, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, with a link to the Wall Street Bets forum. Stonk being the word that Redditors use to talk about stock. Musk's tweet 
liked more than 250,000 times, was like a match at a gas station. It all took off. And it was a story that was just so neat, so perfect. Of course, it was irresistible. You know, two weeks ago, this was a man bites dog story, a David versus Goliath story. It was how a plucky gang of Redditors, possibly motivated by a desire to take on the system or get revenge for the financial crash, took down a big hedge fund and made a fortune kind of pumping this stock. That's James Ball, one of my colleagues who's been digging into this. Given how many games you can buy online and all of that at the moment, it's been a share that's been in the doldrums for a long time. It's been a company people have wondered whether it would collapse. And so its stock price has been pretty low. And what kind of happened, and this actually started a few months ago, was people making various cases that, hey, actually, GameStop's undervalued. It's worth more than people say. They can probably pull through. It's still got a viable business to it. And those really amped up in last month because a major hedge fund had taken a huge short position on GameStop. And that's essentially a bet that a company will either fail or its share price will crash even further down. But you do it by borrowing and selling shares, which means at some point you've got to buy those back, hopefully really cheaply so that you make money. And people had seen that this sort of critical date was coming up for a hedge fund called Melvin Capital. And that sort of gave them a chance to go, hey, no matter what the price, by this date, this hedge fund's going to have to buy millions of shares of this company. Why don't we try and squeeze them? Why don't we try and make that really expensive for them? And that's kind of what drove the spectacular increase in, in this stock from sort of about $10, $20 to $50 to $100 to $200 to $300 and beyond. And over on Wall Street Bets, the community was getting really hyped over this. And they were using a whole new language to talk about what they were doing. Things like YOLO trading accounts, high risk, large value trades, using the acronym for you only live once. SOGU, stocks only go up. Diamond hands, holding onto your stock until the bitter end. Tendies, my favorite, as in chicken tenders, meaning profits. And then just as quickly as it inflated, it deflated. The bubble burst. And that brings me to January 28th, a pivotal day in this modern day fable, the day that everything came crashing down. And so I asked Kim and James, let's see if we can find out who was really making money out of this GameStop fable. Yes, it's true that Melvin Capital lost a lot of money, but not everybody was caught out. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Can everyone hear me? Uh, yes, I do. That's Mohammed. He's one of the little guys, except he's not, but not quite. He's a Wall Street better. He teaches financial management at Sheffield University Management School, and he used to be a banker. And when I spoke to him, it was immediately obvious that Mohammed isn't quite what we'd been told to expect from a Reddit better. Mohammed is precise and he's really knowledgeable about trading and he's brilliantly reflective about what happened and what happened specifically to him. So uh, as far as investing is concerned, I have been doing it. And I, I do believe that you find a good 
investment where you believe that it's going to do well in future buy it and leave it aside and forget about it for the next 10 years you will get much better return since 2017 onwards i had a bit of a liquidity in my hand my portfolio had been doing well we we thankfully buy a bit of liquidity mohammed means he had a bit of cash going spare so he got involved on wall street bets and like loads of other redditors he was really excited by tesla the electric car company run by elon musk and he says it was a lot of fun. I think there was a lot more of the fun element that was definitely there. But since you asked that question, it does gives you, uh, think about it. You put in two and a half, say 700 pounds in one of the options in Tesla. The yeah. price moves from 300 to $500 and you end up with $5,000 in your pocket uh, in two days time. That definitely gives you a lot more and i think that was that those a few successes in the beginning is what made me careless when i went into gamestop at a very high rate normally i think yeah. if i would have been thinking about with my hats two years ago there is no way i would touch a security like that but i did that you did that because you'd had some good experiences and tesla had sort of maybe lured you into a false sense of security I think the more the more was the justification in my mind was I'm not playing with my own money. I'm playing with the profits that I already have made. Right. There's no difference between the money that I have made from the profit and the money that I earn from my salary. It's my yeah. money, end of the day. And anything that goes out of it is a loss for me. But yeah. somehow in my mind, that justification was very strong. And that it's it's a, it's it's quite behavioral, I will say, rather than being rational. But it it did happen to me, and I think that is something that can definitely be quite a strong pull for a number of people. When Mohammed joined the Wall Street Bets forum a couple of years ago, he says that it was more of an expert community. People on there really knew their stuff. They knew the market well, and it felt open and transparent. People posted tips and analysis, but they also posted screenshots of their own trades. Mohammed said that it felt like he knew that the people around him had skin in the game, and he liked that. It felt honest somehow. When I joined around two years ago, it was a good community. It was a very knowledgeable community. And despite what you think about young traders, they were very experienced people, people with very, very deep pockets. It was very common to see more than a million pound position being taken and people posting why they are doing it. And it was not, not one in a blooming. It was happening every month, every week. From 100,000 to a million pound positions were very common. There were definitely a few people with maybe two and a half, three million positions as well, but they were rare. So no, yeah. it was not a group of 17-year-old lying in, living in their mom's basement. Definitely no. And then Mohammed said something that made me sit up a bit straighter. The analysis that the, those people were posting, it they, that involved that people had access to very serious data systems. There were mm -hmm. screenshots from Bloomberg. There were screenshots from uh, Financial Times database. Bloomberg, for your information, requires around 16,000 a year just for one terminal. And it's, it's an expensive data set. I'm just going to jump in here because this is when my ears really pricked up. Mohammed's saying that people on Wall Street bets had access to professional trading terminals. They cost tens of thousands of pounds a year to license more than any amateur day trader could possibly afford. It was not just 
people posting memes. The analysis that used to come there had serious value in terms of information, distributing mm. it to a very wider population. I, I learned how to pull in, uh, sorry, pull out data related to number of trades that have been done from uh, from New York Stock Exchange, from London Stock Exchange. They publish all that data, but we most right. people don't even know that it exists and you, we have access to that. Would that suggest that there were people on that forum who were perhaps shaping the conversation or, or suggesting things who had a vested interest, who were working in the world of finance, who, who might not have been, you know, I don't know if the right word is amateur, but people who were sort of gambling with their own money. Um, yes, there is definitely a chance to that. This was really interesting. James and I had talked about how we thought this narrative of little guy versus big guy was unrealistic and too neat. And here, Mohammed was talking about really, really expensive dashboards, usually accessible only by the kinds of people who work in the world of finance. So I asked Kim, my data journalist colleague, to see if she could find out how frequently terminals appear on Wall Street bets. And it turns out it's quite a lot. And there's an interesting crossover too. One thing you can do is just search a subreddit. So we can just search Wall Street Bets for every time something's mentioned. So I just went through and I searched Bloomberg Terminal and there's absolutely loads of hits. So it's been mentioned at least 3,000 times in just comments in passing. But um, you also see posts where people actually just take pictures of Bloomberg Terminals along with some sort of comment about the stock that they're trading or whatever. There's something else that sort of points towards the idea that people who are genuinely in the finance industry are also in Wall Street bets. There's another subreddit called Financial Careers, which um, is dedicated to people talking and planning their careers in finance. And there's a fair bit of crossover between the kind of people who are in Wall Street bets and people who are active in that, um, in that subreddit. So we found that of a sort of example of our top posters in Wall Street Bets, one in 20 of them had also commented in financial careers. It seemed to suggest that while we couldn't say that Goliath himself is on Wall Street Bets, that financial institutions were manipulating the conversation or encouraging people to make trades that might not work in their favour, the presence of terminals might suggest that people at least who know Goliath are on there. That the distinction between Reddit and the world of finance that they were apparently railing against wasn't a clear one at all. So I, I expect to most of us, a Bloomberg terminal doesn't mean very much. If you're in the world of traders, if you've got a Bloomberg terminal, that's like your way of going, I am a big effing deal. I think people tend to want these online groups to either be full of, you know, really naive rubes or sort of some something completely odd. I think Wall Street Bets was a, a mix of things. So if you've got a Bloomberg terminal and you're posting screenshots from it into this group, that is a very, very strong signal that you are a professional trader, probably working for quite a major sort of hedge fund or financial institution. So there are definitely, for a long time, there are some professionals hanging out in this forum. There will, of course, be some people who don't really know what they're doing and, you know, have, have a few thousand sort of dollars and are dropping it as a hobby. And then there are a lot of people like Mohammed who actually know quite a lot. You know, they're pretty sophisticated operators. They might usually have quite strict rules on when they will and won't invest, but they're not in the club. 
And, you know, we, we know for sure that professionals use uh, Wall Street bets or are involved in it because one of the guys who was most keen on boosting GameStop was a guy called Keith Gill, who's given his real name and said that he was doing it and seems quite sincere in what he was doing. And we know that he's a regulated broker-dealer. So he's not a big player, but he's definitely a professional trader. Which leads me to the obvious next question, which is, so who really are these guys? Mohammed thought that it was possible that there were some hedge funders on the forum stoking the frenzy. James isn't so sure. I called a friend of mine who works for a big hedge fund and I asked him what he thought and he said that the view that everyone on Wall Street Bets was totally amateur was definitely wrong. There were some really serious guys on there too. I've talked to a few people this week and every one of them said there will absolutely have been hedge fund traders in there and paying attention to it and maybe even some of them posting and boosting it. What gets really difficult is to know at what point does that turn from you giving your actual view and following your trades to manipulation. If you are saying, bye, 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 this will go to the moon, diamond hands, and you're still buying, that's probably okay. Where it gets tricky is if someone is going, bye, 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 hold it, while you're secretly selling it off, that would probably put you in a lot of trouble. But, you know, if you're buying and buying and buying until you know that this short squeeze is over and Melvin Capital has managed to close its position, you could go in a second from saying bye, bye, bye to shutting up and quietly selling your stuff while everyone else is still boosting. So there's, a, you know, there's a grey area the size of a planet here. There's quite a lot to balance because there's sort of this question between even if you're regulated, you could say, I recommend this stock and I think it's it's worth buying versus being able to say, hey, this stock's amazing, gains, gains, gains. It's got to go up 400%. And, you know, this, this professor's view that I spoke to, Professor John Coffey, he was sort of saying, actually, if the regulators want, they can take action against that kind of stuff on Reddit, on Twitter, wherever it happens, if they want to. Because what seems to happen in this mix of amateur, semi-professional and professional investors is they seem to be able to create these atmospheres that really amp everything up to 11 and have, you know, perhaps even usually really measured and serious people losing their heads and then losing their money. Now take the user Roaring Kitty, for example, real name Keith Gill, who was a GameStop evangelist on Wall Street bets from a long time ago. He encouraged thousands of Redditors to join him in buying GameStop shares, and it all made him pretty eye-wateringly rich, at least on paper. A picture he posted on the forum showed his GameStop investment was worth around $48 million, but I have to say that number hasn't been verified. But now the regulators have come knocking because in his day job, Roaring Kitty, aka Keith, is a registered securities broker. And before that, he worked at an insurance company based in Boston for a lot of the time that he was posting on Wall Street Bets. It's not clear whether he's broken any laws, but his former employer, the insurance company, said that if they'd known what he was doing, it would have been grounds to fire him. And on the other side of accounts like Roaring Kitty's hype was somebody like Mohammed, calm and measured. He understood how the markets worked and how the forum operated. But as he admitted, even he found it difficult not to get swept away in the excitement of everything going on. 
it was exciting i'll say i won't lie i and I, I, I will say there were a number of decisions that i made which were completely not rational definitely no and that was because i was definitely caught up into the moment and 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 looking at it and by the numbers that we had seen i was definitely planning to sell my shares close to 550 600 point and there was no way that shares would not have gone that way far on the day uh the moment they start clamping down on buying of that something we had never i had never seen before in my life that you that that a a, a broker or a, a clearing house or an exchange stops only purchase of a share there mm-hmm. are circuit breakers that means they will stop trading if it becomes too hot but that was something that was unheard of and they still allowed you to sell your shares and that confused me a lot and that led to some decisions that i'm not very happy with myself and but but that that was something that i do not agree with mohammed's talking about that big moment on january 28 the moment that changed the game and helped cement the narrative Robinhood, the app that a lot of these people on Wall Street bets were using to make their trades, which allows you to trade without paying fees, stopped allowing investors to buy shares in GameStop. David, we do right now have some statements from Robinhood and interactive brokers about restricting trading on some names. Uh, the statement out of Robinhood says our mission at Robinhood is to democratize finance for all. In light of recent volatility, we are restricting transactions for certain securities to position closing only. As for interactive brokers, Instead, anyone who held GameStop shares could sell them, but nobody on the app could buy them anymore. And the effect was almost instant. Today, GameStop shares get killed, plummeting lower at lightning speed. GameStop shares plummeted. They lost half their value in early trading. One of Robinhood's big backers was a hedge fund called Citadel Securities, which had injected money into the already burnt Melvin Capital hedge fund. It looked to the Reddit guys like the big players were colluding and helping each other out while they were being frozen out with the share price plummeting. So Warren is investigating Robinhood regarding their ties with Citadel and he's starting to think against them. Uh, I can't share links, I'm going to get banned, but just... Type in Google and you'll find out. Send them to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send them to me. I'm Cadmus. Robin Hood say that they had to stop allowing new users from buying into GameStop because such was the volume of transactions happening that if something went wrong, Robin Hood no longer had the financial collateral to cover it. In fact, they had to raise a further $3 billion from investors just to allow them to keep trading. Suddenly, Robin Hood was at the centre of the storm. It wasn't just Mohammed and Wall Street bettors who were angry at them. Politicians suddenly, on both sides of the political divide, lined up to criticise the brokerage app. From Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez through to the Republican Ted Cruz. Veterans in Washington have a warning for Wall Street in wake of this Reddit-driven short... The right to trade freely suddenly became tied up with democracy. After all, Robin Hood's tagline is, we're all investors, and it says it's on a mission to democratize finance. And it's important here to understand how Robin Hood works too. Robin Hood doesn't charge commissions to the people who are using its app. Instead, it makes money by selling information to the big trading outfits like Citadel Securities and others. So that automatically puts small investors second in the queue. And it's just another example of how the odds were always going to be stacked against the retail traders on Reddit. (laughs) 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wanted to better understand, beyond the terminals, who the Wall Street bettors really are. So I asked Kim to analyse the data that she could glean from the forum. She said that the data points quite clearly to the fact that the forum had a really big influx of new people around March last year. Yeah, so we do know that if you look at just like the number of subscribers on Wall Street Bets, we do see that there was a bit of an uptick around February, March, April in 2020. It did get suddenly a lot more popular in 2020. And so that sort of maybe confirms this idea that people flocked to it when the pandemic hit. Her analysis shows that around 300,000 people joined the forum in 2019, but in 2020, it was more like a million. Mohammed also noticed a change on the forum. Yes, I think the membership started picking up in sometime in the middle of last year, very, very fast. And we started seeing a lot of posts where people have taken position in a very risky manner. When I say risky manner, you have $10,000 and you are are putting all of it in one stock, which Mm. there is no way any sensible investor or trader will do. That's putting all your eggs. That's that's against the basic 101 of investing or trading. I think there's there's this fantasy when a small guy fights again a big organization and kind of wins practically we were all doing what those hedge funds were doing we're not that different were we they were doing in billions we're doing in thousands but we were taking short positions we were selling options we were doing risky things in the market which may have a wide a large amount of value from our individual portfolio as well right and when did you start noticing that something crazy was going on. When did you start? What was the point in it? Was it a month ago? Was it a couple of weeks ago? When did you start to get that feeling that 
hang on, th- this is going to go a bit sour for lots of people on this forum. Uh, around November, November, December, late November, December last week, when the forum membership started picking up and people started asking questions like, uh, as I said, how to open a trading account and buy options. Then you know, okay, this is not going in right. And then, it, because that till that point of time, it was happening in hundreds. And then within a week, it was happening in thousands. And then it, it just it just went completely overwhelming. James also found out a really remarkable number that speaks to this fresh influx of new trading blood, inspired by the story of the surge. One payment provider, uh, Cardify, put out data suggesting that 60% of people who bought a GameStop share or in January had never bought a share of anything before in their life. So these are people who had been pulled in, not even necessarily by the forum, but by media coverage of the forum. And I wonder whether there was almost a bit of machismo coming to to play. You know, people really didn't... You, you never want to be the rube. You never want to sort of... If you're suddenly $500, $1,000, $2,000 up, and some people are going hey, you know, do you really know what you're doing? Do you know the risks that you're taking? Do you know what could happen next? And you're you're winning. You want to go, yeah, of course I do. Yes, I'm sophisticated. Yes, I know all of this. And yet, obviously, as what happened with Robin Hood shows, maybe quite a lot of these people weren't as sophisticated as they thought. Um, and you have this sort of mixture of that with a quite dangerous culture in Wall Street bets where it was seen as being a good thing to lose money but not cut your losses. You know, people talked about diamond hands as this thing of showing that your share price had gone way down versus when you bought it, but you hadn't sold the stock. That is the absolute opposite of good risk management for professional traders. And from her scrape of the Reddit forum, my colleague Kim was able to figure out quite a bit about who these guys are by figuring out where else they post. And a common theme was memes. So one in five had been active in the subreddit Dank Memes. About the same had been active in the subreddit just dedicated to memes called Memes. There's one called Wholesome Memes where about um, 14% had been active. And perhaps unsurprisingly, they were interested in politics too. So we found that about one in 10 has at some point commented in The Donald, which is this sort of controversial meme page in support of Donald Trump. But it was banned last year by Reddit for breaking some of the rules around hate speech. You could hear some of this in their Discord chats, a place where people can hang out and chat online. Some people referenced back to the 2008 financial crash, and in that sense, they were on something of a crusade. Some kind of a Any punishment. Something. The thing is, in, in 2008, during the financial crisis uh, that came through uh, due to the uh, house market uh, bubble, one guy got jailed. Despite an entire system that was corrupt, you know, like like people were faking the numbers and shit. So, and only one guy got punished. But I, I don't think this will happen again because now the general public is in on it. But the question I've been trying to get out throughout this podcast with the terminals, with trying to untangle the narrative that just doesn't quite fit, is were there big players making money? Was the fable, in fact, something of a ruse to cover up a more 
I guess, predictable story. We know the forum was more sophisticated than the media has reported it to be. We know that professional traders were in there too, playing along, and we know there was an influx of young people, new people, who were in many cases just carried along by the power of the story that they were suddenly a part of. And it turns out, when you look into it, quite a few hedge funds were making a lot of money out of the frenzy. There was a South Korean hedge fund called Must, who, while you know, while Reddit peaked, sold their entire stake in GameStop, which was five percent of the company. And it's possible that they might have made up to a billion dollars doing that. There was another company, another hedge fund called Senvest. They're not going to sort of do diamond hands and keep hoping and you know want to get a Reddit gold. What they did was the second that Elon Musk tweeted GameStonk, they decided that was the moment to sell. And the estimate is they made about $700 million. But when you look at the filings, other big institutional investors seem to have sold some of their stake, but not very much. And so Fidelity, which is a big US pension fund, had about 9.5 million shares in GameStop they still have 9.3 million shares. So they're still a huge investor. They own about an eighth of the company. But that does suggest they sold off about 200,000, probably sorting out their returns for that share for a year or two years without sort of becoming a central big player in it. And so it feels like, you know, if you try and jump in this, if you try and go, well, everyone else is buying it, there's this reason to and I've got faith I can jump out before, you're having to take a big bet that you can judge the mood, judge the people, judge the shares, you know, and trust your own judgment, like beyond everything else. And you have to risk losing a lot. Whereas the people who are just there before and have billions to invest, they can just look for the next time someone like you is trying to turn a quick book and make a guaranteed profit. You know, essentially, they've got more information than you, they've got more time than you, they can access sort of all the the forums and the Reddit boards that you can, you know, they they are well ahead of you. And, you know, you know, when you walk into a casino, the house always wins. This, you know, this would be a casino 10 times, 100 times, 1000 times the size of the world's biggest one. When I spoke to my friend who works inside one of the big hedge funds, he told me there was never a moment of panic, never a moment when they thought this could be the big reset, the moment that changes the world of finance forever. He said they were bemused, a bit confused. They checked their positions, made sure they weren't at risk and waited to see if there were some ripples. No big deal. But on the ground, it was different. Despite his cool head and measured approach, Mohammed couldn't help but get swept away in it all. So... Just if you were to put a number on your losses, what would it be? Um, in in only in GameStop. Yeah, I can give you an exact figure. Just can, can I hold you for like? You can. Yeah, yeah. I'm just getting into my uh, account and my history of transaction. There we go. So the shares that I bought were close to three thousand six hundred in total. Mm-hmm. And I sold them off for 
around 1500 so 3600 minus 1500 are you doing the maths as we speak yeah around 2100 dollars is what my loss is okay so so a modest loss but when we're talking about normal amounts of money for normal people quite a significant one it's it's significant for me as well. Let's not yeah. <laughs> pretentious <laughs> here. No, it's, it's significant. It's definitely significant for me. At the end of it all, it doesn't matter who you are. The house always wins. We know some people made a lot of cash quite quietly. Remember that man, Gabe Plotkin, the founder of Melvin Capital? Well, yes, the GameStop saga might have lost his fund billions, but he's doing okay. Bloomberg just reported days ago that he took home $846 million in 2020, making him one of the most successful hedge fund earners last year. Yes, he might personally have lost about half of that in January, but that still leaves him with a cool $400 million of his own cash to play with, at least. Or take Senvest, that New York-based hedge fund that James mentioned. They made nearly $700 million, one of the great fortunes of the whole GameStop mania. Or that Korean fund, Must, who might have made close to a billion. Or Scion Capital. If you've seen the film The Big Short, you'll remember the character, played by Christian Bale. That's the guy who spotted the housing market crash coming and made around $800 million by shorting it. This time, Michael Burry's fund bought shares in GameStop in August of 2019. And it's partly because people noticed that he did that, that he helped lay the foundations for last month's frenzy. In the end, Burry made around $270 million out of the GameStop saga. Compare all that to Mohammed's £2,000 losses, which was a big deal for him. It's hard not to see that the real story here was never about David versus Goliath, but really a story of many Goliaths crashing around, doing what they do, and a few Davids getting crushed in the frenzy. I'm John Curtis. And I'm Rachel Wolfe. This week on Trendy, the monarchy. A year after the coronation, and as King Charles returns to work, what do we think of it? And how has that changed over time? To listen to the episode, search for Trendy on Tortoise News, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode.